Welcome to Soundings Mindful Media Podcast. I'm Dudley Evanson, and for more than four decades, my husband Dean Evanson and I have created music and media that supports healing people and the planet. In our Soundings Podcasts, we share interviews with wisdom keepers we have met in the course of our life journey. To learn more about our activities and releases, please visit our website and blog at soundings.com. As a flute player, Dean Evanson was honored to interview Paul Horn in 1977, a full two years before we started Soundings of the Planet. We had heard Paul's album Inside the Taj Mahal and loved it. When we came across the video in our archive, we knew we also wanted to share it as a podcast. Be sure to listen to Dean's final question, which he asks with his silver flute. You can also watch the video on our Soundings Mindful Media YouTube channel. Enjoy. Good afternoon, I'm Dean Evanson, and uh, we're here at the Boulder Public Library. Um, This is another one of a series of visiting artists. And today we have Paul Horn, who is a renowned flutist, flautist, uh, who's... uh, Fame and beauty really came through with his record Inside Taj Mahal. Um, there are a lot of questions I'd like to ask, and none at all. Uh, first, uh, maybe we could talk about what you consider yourself as far as style. Do you, you uh, define yourself that way? For instance, classical or yeah. jazz? It's always been a, uh, a hindrance, I think, in in my looking back over my career, because uh, people feel the necessity uh, necessity to categorize for the most part, and uh, and it is necessary up to a point. But I, but many musicians uh, today, more than I think when I started out, transcend those boundaries, mm-hmm. and it's rather limiting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that a jazz musician today, I don't know exactly what that means. I just go back to what I think the basic definition of jazz is, and that is improvisation, mm-hmm. no matter what style you're playing, whether it's with a beat or without a beat, the fact remains that the performer is also a composer at the same time, and that's what makes it exciting, mm-hmm. both to the performer and to the listener, just that the spontaneity of performance. It's always challenging, it's always different, you can never get bored with it, so it keeps you going all the time. At least this is what I find to be uh, uh, enlivening and uh, has been spurring me on all these years. I just I still love music, and I think if I if I were to be playing um, set music all the time, that I'd grow a little tired of it after a while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What uh, what musicians influenced you early? How did you learn to play that way? How did you move into that? Space? I guess my earliest influence was my mother. She was a professional musician before I was born, and gave that up uh, when she got married, and I came along. But she was uh, the influence was there, and she played the piano and sang. She made records of her own in the early days, in the in the twenties, at her own radio show. So uh, I started playing piano when I was uh, four years old, and did that till about eleven. When I heard some some guy that played a black instrument, and I said, "What is that?" And I said, "That's a clarinet." And I said, "Who is that?" I said, "That's Benny Goodman." So I said, "Well, I'd like to play that." Mm-hmm. So I, I left piano and uh, took up the clarinet. And saxophone follows the clarinet. Uh, in a natural way, they go together. <coughs> and uh, 
And I became very interested in jazz, and that was during the bebop era, so Charlie Parker, I guess after Benny Goodman and Artie Shaw, being, I guess, the basic influences for me in the, in the direction of jazz. Mm -hmm. Then I heard Charlie Parker, and he really turned my head around, and Miles Davis and Dizzy Gillespie and Thelonious Monk and the people that were associated with that era of jazz. And I continued on that through high school. Not having started the flute yet, that came my second year of college. Mm -hmm. I went to Oberlin Conservatory for four years and graduated from there. And took up flute as a minor my second year. So the early influences in jazz were the people that I've just mentioned. And I'm glad that I had the advice of uh, my parents and a few other people to say, well, I think maybe you ought to go on and try to, try to get as much of an education as you can in all forms of music. And so they pushed me into the conservatory trip. But uh, for the most part, it was good. Mm -hmm. What influenced you later on? The Taj Mahal inside record, it's a, lot, a different, more different space than jazz, for instance, if you want. Yes. There is, there is certain lines of demarcation. Well, it isn't jazz, again, in the sense that we would associate jazz with a beat and finger snapping. Mm -hmm. But getting back to the basic definition of jazz as being uh, improvisation, uh -huh. and the inside the Taj Mahal was all improvised. Mm -hmm. But that's that's jumping ahead quite a few years. But that, that's all right too. I was over there in 1967 on a spiritual quest, and uh, I was spending some time with Maharishi Mahesh Yogi in the Himalayas at his ashram for four months. <clears throat> and I visited the Taj Mahal that that time and noticed the beautiful echo that was there. And thought someday, if I was lucky enough, I'd like to come back again, bring my flute this time and mm -hmm. see what it was like. And uh, I was fortunate enough again to come back the following year, 1968, and I, I had my flute and I went and played some. A friend had a tape recorder and we were just hoping to get a few notes down to play for some friends when I got back and it wasn't an album project to begin with. Uh -huh. But I think underlying that experience was uh, a jazz background and that I felt comfortable improvising, number one. And number two, um, having found out a few things about myself, spending time with a man like Maharishi, and uh, my, my head was more open and I was seeing the whole world and life through different eyes or a different set of glasses, we'll say. My point of view and my perspective and my values and everything had shifted and that certainly that's reflected in, in music. Mm -hmm. And I learned, most of all, from him, that the main instrument is me, and that this is second. I always used to think of this as my instrument, or this is the flute, or this is the clarinet, or this is the saxophone. But when I finally learned that I'm really an instrument, and that all this creative flow comes through me first, and then out here, this is just an extension. It's like another arm, or an extension of my hand, or more than that, it's an extension of my whole personality, and what I know, and what I am as a human being. So. That's what I mean by music. Everything took on different perspective and different dimensions. I got free of the uh, ego quite a bit that I am playing the flute for you. That isn't there at all anymore. It's just that uh, I, this, I just, I'm playing the flute, period. And not so much that I'm even aware that I'm playing the flute. It gets very vague and, and very uh, subtle. But just that image, just that idea that if, that I am an instrument that I have to take care of as far as my own consciousness is concerned, as far as uh, my uh, being able to be in touch with that creative flow, to know about that, to know where it is, mm -hmm. to know of a technique that will enable me to make contact with it, 
all of this underlines uh, underlies music, and yet I didn't study it in the conservatory. Mm -hmm. So these things were with me inside the Taj Mahal, and I think that was all part of the performance too. So you can look at it either as a flute performance in the Taj Mahal, or as I think many people seem to feel, uh, have feelings or emotions which transcend just a musical evaluation, and and it and it gives them a, a meditative experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, one of the questions I was going to ask is healing. What is that's that seems to be what's happening with the flute, the way you're playing it. When you become uh, not, you're not playing the flute, but the flute is playing you, or however you want to put it. I think that music becomes healing when that's the uh, uh, mental attitude of the performer. Mm -hmm. When he seems to be one with the music and just in tune with everything and free of the of, the, of his awareness of kind of, uh, self-consciousness that he is performing for an audience then the music takes on a much more powerful aspect which uh, is definitely healing mm -hmm. but you, do you, you don't go in and say well i'm going to play healing music no i don't feel i don't think that mm -hmm. consciously uh, um, do, do you prepare before you play what kind of preparation do you go through like before a concert? Well, if I have time to have a nice meal, I eat a good meal. And <laughs> I don't go through any preparation uh, in particular, other than uh, whatever technical needs are uh, required for my show at the present time. So to check out the sound or to check out the audiovisuals if I'm using audiovisual equipment and things like that. But uh, as far as getting myself ready, I don't, but I do practice meditation twice a day at regular intervals, and I've been doing that for the last 12 years, and I figure that sets my day, whatever that day is going to be, mm -hmm. whether I'm going to do this or whether I'm going to do that, whether it's a performance or whether it's just uh, making a few phone calls or whatever it is I have to do. Mm -hmm. It sets me up for it. Is there anything else about your lifestyle that may, might be unique than, you know, for instance, a diet or exercise or anything like that? My diet keeps changing over the years. Uh, I'm at present a vegetarian. I have been before, and uh, rather than set myself toward uh, a certain style or recommend it for anyone else, I would simply say the more in tune you get with yourself, the more you listen to your own body, or, or without maybe consciously doing that, you just follow the dictates of whatever it is that's guiding you. And so if your diet shifts, you shift with it. Some people, I think, uh, I think it's dangerous to lay out a diet for everybody because mm -hmm. we all have our specific needs mm -hmm. and yet if we're able to get in touch with ourselves inside, we're always going to know what's right for us on all levels, including diet. Exercise certainly is, is good for you. I was admiring people jogging up in the mountains today. I, I know that I couldn't do that <laughs> at this particular time. but. Uh, to be in good health means a coordination of both mental and physical and spiritual. All of those things, some exercise during the day on the part of the individual to uh, take care of those three areas. Mm -hmm. You mentioned um, um, slides. Uh, how long have you been working with a, a multimedia type of situation? I've been doing multimedia for about a year now, and it's in response to uh, some of these solo flute albums one of which you've mentioned anyway inside the Taj Mahal and I did a similar thing two years ago in Egypt inside the Great Pyramid mm -hmm. and people have related it seems more to those albums 
<clears throat> associated me rather more with those albums than many of the other straight jazz albums that I've done. Mm -hmm. So I've tried to set together, uh, put together a show where I would be able in a concert situation to uh, give more of a total feeling to the audience of, of what those experiences were for me. Mm -hmm. On the album I include a lot of liner notes, extensive liner notes trying to lay out the experience. But I feel now in a concert situation through through slides in a dissolve unit and some 16 millimeter footage I have and, uh, and playing along with these slides with an echoplex to simulate somewhat what the sound was like inside these buildings, that I do give more of a total experience to the audience of what these experiences were for me. Mm -hmm. So that's my show at the present time. Probably we'll continue to do that for another year or so. How long is this present tour that's starting? This tour will be going for um, about three weeks. Mm -hmm. This is the first stop. Where is it going across country? We'll go up into Canada, into Toronto, and Montreal, and Boston, and, and uh, New York, and Washington, D.C., and then come back out to the West Coast, mm -hmm. Los Angeles, and, and up the coast. Mm -hmm. uh, how, how did your association with Al Huang begin? We were both to be a part of uh, a conference about a year ago on holistic health in the San Francisco area, Marin County. And uh, people before that time had mentioned him to me, saying that he was familiar with my music, he was a wonderful dancer, he's a Tai Chi master, and studied uh, ballet formally for many years, grew up in China, had his own dance company, and on and on and on. And he seemed like a very interesting man. He'd also uh, written uh, a few books and co-authored a book with Alan Watts. And all of these things, uh, I knew that he was a very interesting man, and, uh, and they were saying that the, he danced a lot to my music, to my records, and that it would be nice to do a performance together if possible. So here we were at this conference and, do, and did a performance together. Liked it very much, enjoyed working with each other, so we're continuing to do it when the occasion is right. This is one of them here mm -hmm. in Boulder. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's for a benefit, actually. It's a benefit for an organization called a 3HO, which is a, a humanities foundation, is what it is. And, they stand for bringing together various speakers and uh, people from different walks of life with different beliefs and all, just bringing them together to share ideas, artists and philosophers and uh, scientists and healers and, and all of these things. It's a holistic uh, venture. More of these are happening all the time and I think it's great mm -hmm. to, to share, it's just to share knowledge, not to convince each other that this is the way and you're, yeah. I'm right and you're wrong. Yeah which I never like, but just that we all have something to say, and uh, if it's a nice, healthy situation, we put together and we just express it. Al does it in terms of dance, I do it in terms of music. We speak about it sometimes in, work in a workshop situation, and they're, very, uh, they're a lot of fun, these conferences. Mm -hmm. So the 3-H people, or the Humanities Foundation, is a foundation that, that sponsors these events and brings them together. Okay, I have another question here. All right. I'd like to share with you. You want an answer to that question? Sure. <laughs>
say a lot with music. Yeah. I have a hard time with words sometimes. <clears throat> well, that's why they say music's a universal language, and it is. It's, uh, it's healing, as we talked about a little bit before. When, it, when you free yourself from uh, the academic approach to music, but you have to go through that mm -hmm. in order to be free of it. Mm -hmm. so I'm not saying you disregard it. That's a misinterpretation by young people a lot of times. They, they feel that in order to be free, uh, they're afraid to know anything because it's going to constrict them and channel them. But that's not true. It's, the freedom is a challenge within boundaries. Freedom by itself means nothing. So it's, it's how free can you get within certain parameters, given parameters. Mm -hmm. So you have to know. There's nothing wrong with knowing. You have to know. But you also have to know that knowledge is binding. So once you know, and you know that you know, then you're free of that. You don't have to be thinking about it anymore. It's just part of you. Mm -hmm. So we learn the alphabet at one stage of our lives. And so that's a struggle. We may not remember it because it's so long ago, but we had to learn the tools of language, and then we just go on expressing ourselves. Same with music. You learn the tools, and then you just express yourself. And you're free of it. But it is definitely a universal language that people understand all over the world. It brings them good feelings and a little inner peace and, uh, and healing, as we've talked about. And it has the ability and the power to raise a consciousness of mankind, most of all. So if you as a performer are, are searching for spiritual values, and the more you find those for yourself, I think the higher quality your music takes on and the more power it has which is beyond the intellect. It's not intellectual. But there's a power there which comes through you, again, as, as you develop yourself and evolve as a human being. All these things are part of art. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's all pretty interrelated. Any questions from the audience? Uh, could you play you see some more things, just free improvisation. Start from somewhere and end somewhere. Want to join me in another one? Sure. Yeah. Right. Should I ask the first question? <laughs>
Very nice. See? Yeah, that was... Yeah. We never met before, did we? No. Yeah. Beautiful. All right, thank you. Did you run out of film? <laughs> why are you playing solo now? I'm playing mostly solo. Why? Oh, why? I guess to, um, again, to bring to a concert situation what the, the records are. The records of the, the inside records, the solo records. Your feelings, again, playing with yourself then in the pyramids and so on. If there wasn't anyone with you. Uh, no, it was just alone. It's just another challenge, something different. I never thought the, the day would come where I would be doing a solo flute concert with no other musicians around. The day has arrived. And I'm sure that the day will come when, I'll, when I won't be doing that anymore. But it's, it's fun to try new things, and that's a challenge. And then you have to see, uh, well, how can I do that? How can I be on a, on a stage for two hours with no other musicians? And you get into other other things, and it's all a learning experience. I'm learning more about theater, and lighting, and theatrical things, and stage. I know what upstage and downstage means now. <laughs> left and right, which is really right and left. It's very confusing when they say stage right, it's really stage left, you see. It's backwards. Yeah. Anyway, it's a different language. And uh, I'm learning about multimedia, and the problems of rear projection and front projection, and keystoning, and all these things that I never knew about as a musician. I don't know if I even want to know about them. <laughs> More problems. I'm learning it's not so simple to do a one-man show. It was just show up and that's it. It's well, a, there's a lot to it. Anyway, it's, again, a learning experience. It's a challenge, and, uh, and it's fun. Do you have contact with other flautists, and, and have they? what do they feel about a flute as a solo instrument? I don't ask anybody what they think about it, the flute or anybody else. I don't, I don't involve myself with it. If I got consistently bad reviews, then I would stop and analyze the, like maybe I'm doing something wrong. But uh, that hasn't been the case. And so I just, I've always done what I wanted to do, very simple. And it may seem selfish, but uh, I think that that's what selfish means, that I have to do that. Because if I please myself, then I can please someone else. So it's, it's, it's selfish, but not in what I would consider a negative aspect of selfishness. I have to be happy in doing that. And so, uh, even when I go out on the stage, I don't know what I'm going to play next. If I plan too far ahead, then uh, that's the freedom of a jazz musician. Again, if I, if I have a classical program lined up and I'm going to do a concert with uh, some symphony orchestra, I've done Obviously, the program has to be planned. <clears throat> but I never know how I'm going to feel when I get out on that stage. So if, if I uh, suppose I don't want to play a Bach B minor suite, well, it's too late because I've chosen to play it. It's, it's, the program says I'm going to play it, and I'm going to play it. But maybe I'd rather play some piece by piece. I don't have that freedom. As a jazz musician, I do. Even with the band, I used to drive my quintet crazy every time we get out on the stage. Uh, we'd, we'd, I'd, I'd set a program five minutes before we go out, and then as soon as we're out there, I'd still change it. <laughs> but they came. They came to. Uh, accept that from me and instead of being uptight about it we say well we'll just see because once I'm out there maybe I say I want to play that tune that's really what I want to do now and so I'm going to do it well and if I do it well and I'm enjoying it then the audience is going to enjoy it and getting back to my solo flute thing it's what I want to do now if I didn't want to do it I wouldn't do it and if I forced myself to do it and I didn't like it that, that vibration would come through me and, and it would be unsettling and the audience would react to that. So, 
it's all very simple, really. It's a very simple thing. If you do what, what you enjoy doing, that's going to come across and everything's going to be all right. How does that relate to your meditation practice now? And how do you feel when you're in the Taj Mahal or the pyramid in relation to your practice of meditation? I practice this uh, Maharishi system of meditation, which is transcendental meditation, and uh, it's a very simple thing, which is uh, undisciplined and unfocused. And so, uh, as a technique, as a technique, I do this. Uh, is a tool that I used, as we were talking about before, for this being my instrument. My body is my instrument. That's that's an exercise that I practice. To, to get this more into. Uh, when I was inside the Taj Mahal, it's hard to, I, I think I, I know what you're hinting at, but yet they're two different techniques. So I don't practice the meditation when I play the flute, but if that's someone else's interpretation of meditation, then, then I will be. Meditation means many things to many people. It's, it's, it's a confusing word. Some people think everything is a meditation, and that's one interpretation. Some people think I'll meditate on this particular problem or this situation, and that's another way to meditate. Or I'll focus my attention on a certain object or a discipline or a koan, a Zen koan, and that's another system of meditation. Or just playing music, they might consider to be a meditation. But when I say meditation, because I'm a teacher of TM2, then I, I have my own definition of what I mean by meditation, which is different than picking up my flute and playing in the Taj Mahal or the pyramid. There was a system of meditation that was used by Zen monks playing flutes, and that was actual meditation practice as such. Mm -hmm. and, and the bells, the Tibetan bells, is another thing used for meditation. Yeah. So many people have told me they use my records for meditation, so they practice some system of meditation where the music is part of that. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our Soundings Mindful Media Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this program. To learn more about our music, guided meditations, books, and videos, please visit our website and blog at soundings.com. Peace through music blessings.